David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everyone. 9.37 a.m. Central Standard Time, the 15th of January, 2019, and this is episode 53 of Bitcoin And. And we're going to run right into the morning roundup. Uh, the Russian narrative uh, about uh, Putin and, and I don't know, Russia buying Bitcoin is swirling, uh, swirling pretty good. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I'm going to talk about it just a little bit again today because Vladislav Ginko, uh, which is the guy that's sort of stirring this whole shit bag up, has tweeted, I don't know, something... People are taking it seriously. When I first read it, uh, I was kind of thinking it was tongue-in-cheek, but uh, Ginko says, Bernie Madoff is true Satoshi Nakamoto. He was put behind bars by the regime of Obama. Madoff is innocent since the real beneficiary of his Ponzi scheme is then Obama's regime, who covered up it for several years, deriving the benefit from it. Um. Yeah, and it also turns out that uh, this Ginkgo guy uh, tweeted out not terribly long ago to BitConnect uh, asking why they stopped tweeting and if he could help. If if there was anything that he could do to help BitConnect. And if you don't remember or don't know the BitConnect saga, it was a, a huge, huge huge scam and fraud that involved many, many people and uh, wasted the fortunes of many, many more. Okay, so I I won't get into the details. Uh, Just go look up BitConnect and just marvel at the stupendous idiocy of of the people. yeah, nah, don't get into stuff like that. Anyway, the fact that the fact that he started, you know, talking about Bernie Madoff is the true Satoshi, even if it is tongue in cheek, coupled with his uh, BitConnect tweet, pretty much leads me to believe that any part of the Russian narrative that's coming out about buying Bitcoin and like a some whatever percent they're going to sink whatever percentage of their GDP into Bitcoin to hedge against uh, the United States sanctions should be taken with every grain of salt that you'll ever find in the universe. Because I don't believe it. I think it's all BS. Um, I wouldn't bet any kind of money on it whatsoever because the guy is starting to show that he's kind of a, kind of a clown. So again, don't get into the whole narrative of Russia is going to start buying Bitcoin. Uh, assume that they're not and proceed accordingly. Uh, <clears throat> second thing up in my stack is a tweet storm from Larry Cermak 
at Lawmaster. And he's talking about uh, the Lightning Network, and he kind of pulls apart some of the metrics. So let's go. One, the rapid growth of the Lightning Network is, by many, considered perhaps the largest accomplishment in 2018. The charts of the growing capacity are shared almost every day. So I've decided to look under the hood of these metrics. Let's take a look. Two, in a little under a year since being live on mainnet, there are now nearly 2,800 nodes with active channels and about 20,000 total channels. The steeper growth of nodes as of late could coincide with user-friendly SW and HW solutions hitting the market, uh, Casa Hodel and others. Three, it is also worth pointing out that the average number of channels per node has been steadily increasing throughout the last year. There are now nearly eight channels per each node. Four, the network capacity grew to 575.5 Bitcoin, approximately $2 million US. Interestingly, unlike the number of nodes and channels, the capacity isn't growing linearly. The largest increase was recorded in early November when LN's uh, Lightning Network's capacity suddenly increased by 300% in just two weeks. This coincides with the mysterious entry of lnbig.com nodes. At the time of writing, lnbig.com has 20 public nodes totaling the capacity of 366 Bitcoin, approximately 1.3 million US. One party's 20 nodes, 0.7% of total nodes, currently controls 64% of the capacity. The largest LN nodes currently have 38% of the network's capacity. In June last year, it was 53%, which indicates an improvement, but the reliance on large nodes is still evident and the capacity is still so low that it can fairly easily be gained by a single party. Seven, the average capacity per channel has increased, but it's clear that it was also affected by the entry of LNBig.com nodes. Eight, the most remarkable growth metric of LN seems to be the steadily growing number of nodes with active channels and that the nodes are gradually opening more channels. 9. Sharing the capacity of the Lightning Network without disclosing that 64% of it's controlled by one entity seems at best counterproductive and deceptive at worst. <clears throat> 10. The maximum channel capacity, which was set at 0.168 BTC, approximately $600, is currently being lifted depending on which client is used and will be lifted across all clients within the next couple of months. 11. The growth of nodes, channels, and capacity will likely continue as running a node will become gradually easier for the non-technical users. The real test in 2019 will be onboarding merchants that will actually accept Bitcoin through Lightning Network. I'm rooting for it. 12, as always, data used in this analysis can be found here, and he gives a link to uh, a Google Doc. So, yeah, that's uh, a kind of a, a nice, refreshing look at, at LN. We all have the tendency to start jumping up and down when we start seeing all these nodes. But as Larry points out, um, a large portion of these nodes are kind of controlled by um, a single entity. Um, you know, I'm not looking at that as just a terrible thing, um, but it is something to keep in mind every time that we look at, you know, how much capacity is increasing, uh, how many, you know, nodes are, in, you know, how many nodes are being added to the network, how many channels are being added to the network. 
um, you know, always kind of try to do your, your research on that. And that's one of the reasons why I, I really appreciate Larry for doing this. Again, you can follow Larry at Lawmaster, all one word. <clears throat> so uh, coming back up into the stack, it looks like there was a fee spike on Ethereum, uh, on Ethereum Classic, and it's raising some fears of uh, possible attacks. And this was uh, posted this is uh, from Coindesk.com. Uh, Christine Kim is the author, posted uh, yesterday, uh, January the 14th. And we'll get into this. A sudden surge in transaction fees on the Ethereum Classic blockchain has some developers speculating whether cryptocurrency exchanges could be at risk of attack. A development that follows last week's 51% attack in which more than 200,000 was stolen from at least one exchange. Over the last 24 hours, average transaction fees on the blockchain rose to $6.10, up nearly 800% from $0.71 cents 24 hours before. The largest spike in transaction costs in the history of the blockchain, according to the data source BitInfo charts. As such, Ethereum Classic miners has, have made as much as 844 Ethereum Classic, or roughly $3,600. Verifying transaction blocks Sunday, an unusual occurrence for the network that continues to run the original software instance of the Ethereum project. However, the uptick is one of several clues leading developers to think this may be evidence of an attacker is using a known exploit to target certain cryptocurrency exchanges starting as early as 11.15 a.m. UTC, Sunday, one user on the Ethereum Classic Discord channel reported a near doubling of the hash power, or total computer power, being put towards verifying transactions and mining new blocks, a figure corroborated on blockchain analytics sites such as CoinWars. Another data source, GasTracker, said Ethereum Classic mining pool to miners accounted for a large majority of the additional hash rate, hitting up to 3 thousand gigahertz per sec or giga hashes per second from a rough average shortly beforehand of 160 giga hashes per second man that is a hell of an increase though no one is able to identify who exactly is sending transaction with such high fees there is speculation over this individual's motives tweeting out a link identifying a known vulnerability in ethereum gas tokens burns posits that the sender of these transactions is looking to take advantage of a loophole that enables gas token creation through exchanges free of cost. As background, gas token is an application created last year that allows users to store and sell gas. The fees charged by the network for all operations, such as computing smart contracts. This comes in handy for users looking to save on costs for operations by enabling them to tokenize gas and store it when network fees are low and sell them when prices are high. An exploit discovered by smart contract development startup Level K last October revealed that cryptocurrency exchanges who don't place a limit on gas usage may end up being drained of funds by attackers minting new gas tokens. Burns explained to Coindesk, quote, an exploit was found a few months ago where exchanges were paying gas for the exchange withdrawal. Unknown users were using this to withdraw and minting gas tokens for free by having the exchanges pay large amounts of gas. Mystery continues. Some experts, including Ethereum Classic developer Yaz Corey, 
agree with Burns' analysis that this may be a gas token exploit, but others aren't so sure. Speaking to Coindesk, Anthony Lusardi explained that from a glance at Sunday's incident, it looks to him as though someone bought some hash rate to mine blocks and then other addresses made very high value transactions. He added it's unclear at the moment whether any money actually moved through exchanges, suggesting the activity may not be indicative of any gas token exploit. Similarly, founder and CEO of Bitfly, which runs the Ethereum classic mining pool Ethermine, Peter Pratcher, told Coindesk, quote, I don't think the high transaction fees are related to the gas token exploit. It is unknown if this was a mistake or an intentional measure measure to subsidize ETC mining pool and prevent further 51% attacks. This meaning... This meaning that the hike, I think she actually means this means that the hike in transaction fees could be thought of as a positive to the overall security of the network should they continue and actually attract more minor support to the network. Pratcher added that from the transactions he's analyzed thus far, all are standard A to B value transfers that do not interact with the smart contract. Indeed, the Ethereum Classic community is still left with many questions to answer after events last week caused massive block reorganizations. One of the most harmful consequences of last week's attack is that cryptocurrency exchanges have reported lost funds. Yet, on an optimistic note, ExchangeGate.io reported this weekend that about half of the money, about $100,000 worth, lost was returned. Since then, Gate.io says it's taking extra precautions to secure users' funds. After having raised block confirmation times to 500 last Tuesday, the confirmation number now is 4,000. Wow. Indicating a significantly longer wait period for users sending Ethereum Classic funds through the exchange. So that's going to do it for that article. Um, Yeah, you know... We're gonna to have to be watching this. Ethereum Classic seems like it's just it's just ripe to be attacked. Cause even if what these, you know, what these people are saying that they're not sure if it's actually um if this uh activity is indicative of using the gas exchange or the gas token exploit, the fact that there is a known exploit and and now it's actually being like kind of described in detail is just going to attract moths to the flame. So uh, if you guys are dealing with Ethereum Classic on exchanges, I'd be very, very, very skeptical of do of keeping my funds there um, unless you're trading. But, you know, if you're trading, you're taking your, your life in your hands on that one. So moving on up the stack, uh, Hong Kong-based... Um, Digital currency exchange BitMEX ditches clients in U.S. and Quebec amid regulatory pressure. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm not going to read this one, but this is from uh, scmp.com um, and is written by Georgina Lee. And it's just basically saying that uh, BitMEX has uh, basically just shut down uh, under pressure from the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, has shut down uh, all user accounts uh, from the United States. 
um, clearly using stuff like, uh, you know, Tor and um, VPNs. I'm absolutely certain that there are still Americans that are able to trade on the BitMEX exchange. But um, as Tone Vase discovered a couple of months ago, uh, he tweeted that he was using BitMEX. And like, I think it was 24 to 48 hours later, BitMEX notified him that they had closed his account because he is a known American citizen. And it has always, BitMEX has basically always said um, that uh, they're not open to United States users. So, you know, people are reacting to this like it's kind of a surprise, but to me, it's it's not a surprise. I guess the only the only part about this that is a surprise is that the news uh, clearly connects the uh, United States Securities and Exchange Commission to uh, communicating with BitMEX and telling them you will do X or we will do Y. I'm not exactly sure how their how the SEC's reach goes all the way to Hong Kong because guess what Hong Kong is not part of the United States but I, I guess they can levy some kind of, I don't know some kind of sanctions somewhere that's you know uh, that's forcing Arthur Hayes the owner or the CEO of, of and uh, creator of bitmix to uh, come in line with their authority not exactly stellar news for uh, cryptocurrency in general but again, and I've always said this, regulators are going to regulate what they can regulate. And if you don't want to be regulated by regulators, you make damn sure that your product or service doesn't look like anything that can be regulated. It's got to look like something completely different. Exchanges are easy pickings. And that's this is probably going to continue. And that continuance will probably uh, end up fostering even more development of what's known as DEXs, or decentralized exchanges. At this moment, DEXs are not all that useful. Well, it's not that they're not all that useful. It's just that the user experience being reported from these things um, seems to be the seems to be rather uh, seems to be rather hard to use. I don't trade, so I don't know. I'm only kind of reporting on on uh, some of the things that I've seen seen being said about DEXs over the last, you know, couple of years. I expect that to change. Um, Lightning, <clears throat> the Lightning Network was uh, very difficult to uh, crank up at first. Now with stuff like uh, uh, Nodal.it and a couple of other manufacturers, um, I can just order a full Bitcoin node and Lightning node and uh, a BTC, BTC pay server all in the same unit crank it up and it's essentially it's plug and play, even though there is some configuration, which makes the user experience uh, a little bit depressed, but it's certainly better than what it used to be. I mean, it, you know, what it used to be is you had to set up a Bitcoin full node and then you had to set up a lightning node. And now all these things are kind of collapsing together, making the u- user experience much, much better. And I assume the same is going to happen with decentralized exchanges, especially given the environmental pressures that we see coming down from the SEC. So moving on up the stack, uh, we've got the CZ Binance tweet uh, that happened this morning. Uh, And in in case you don't know, um, Binance is probably the largest exchange out there. And in, um, and in response 
to the New Zealand-based cryptocurrency exchange Cryptopia going silent because they got hacked. Yet another exchange got hacked. This one looked, they're, uh, they're claiming, quote, significant losses arising from a hack. Uh, that's being reported by Coindesk. Um, the, the problem here is, is what CZ Binance says. And Binance, CZ has always been um, one of the good guys. This one, this tweet, um, I think he kind of went off the rails. I'm, hope, I'm hoping he gets his train back on track. But this one uh, tweet make, really ra- is raising eyebrows because CZ says, store coins yourself, you fight hackers yourself, and guard from losing wallet yourself. Computer breaks, USBs get lost, store on an exchange. Only use the most reputable, proven, secure exchanges or move to DEX, disrupt ourselves. And uh, everybody is jumping up and down, and, and me too. Um, I think this is terrible advice. You should hold your private keys. You should only put your coins on an exchange if and only if you are in active trading. You don't store them there. You store them on a hardware wallet or some other protocol. I like hardware wallets because the user exchange the user experiences pretty slick. Um, I'm not going to get into uh, Trace Mayer. Uh, um, what was it called? The Glacial Protocol. I'm not going to get into into that because I don't hold trillions and billions and millions of dollars of of Bitcoin uh, in in cold storage. Um, if if you have that much money, then I highly recommend looking up Trace Mayer and looking up the Glacial Protocol because uh, it's 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 very involved, but it's very very safe. What is not safe is keeping anything on an exchange, and CZ seems to be saying that. Although he does come back in a tw- in a reply to his own tweet to say, some people seem to misread this tweet. It lists three options. It does not say which option is better than another, as that depends on each person's security, skill, preference, fund allocation, etc. Most importantly, it is an ad for the Binance Dex. My bad for not making it clear. My response to that is that he's going to have to do a little bit more to clean up that tweet, his original tweet, um, because when you tell people that story that holding your own private keys are not safe and that they should use a reputable exchange, I don't agree with that 100%. So, of course, then again, CZ is a lot richer than I am, so maybe he knows something I don't. But in this particular case, I think he shot his mouth off, and I think it's going to come back to bite him in the ass. So uh, last up in the morning roundup is... Um, yeah, the Cryptopia attack. Uh, let's kind of uh, let's kind of look at this a little bit. This is from uh, Marie Juliet. New Zealand digital asset exchange Cryptopia has suspended services after detecting a major hack that was reportedly that has reportedly quote unquote resulted in significant losses, according to a tweet posted today, January the fifteenth. The exchange revealed in the tweet that the hack occurred yesterday, January 14th. The platform had initially informed the public it was undergoing unscheduled maintenance, issuing 
several similarly icon oh laconic updates before today's official disclosure of the breach. According to today's tweet, the exchange has notified government agencies and authorities, including the New Zealand Police and High Tech Crimes Unit, who have reportedly opened an investigation into the matter and are allegedly treating the incident as a major crime. Cryptopia, whose daily trade volumes are currently not disclosed on CoinMarketCap, lists over 800 crypto assets with support of trading pairs that include a range of small-scale crypto assets. News of the incident has been met with concern and some skepticism in the crypto community. Industry Twitter personality Whale Panda commented on the hack, which he notably placed in quotation marks, saying in a second tweet, Interesting that this happens in a bear season where small exchanges are struggling to make ends meet and are aggressively messaging anyone involved with crypto projects to get them to pay listing fees to get listed on their platforms. In response to Whale Panda's tweet, a couple of commentators have gone so far as to investigate Cryptopia's recent transactions, claiming the exchange had moved Ethereum worth several millions of dollars out of its wallet yesterday, citing data from crypto exchange blockchain monitor Whale Alert January the 13th. In a spate of (coughs) accusatory remarks on the apparent coincidence, other commentators volunteered allegations that the security breach could be an exit scam and allegedly pre-planned. None of these claims have been corroborated at press time. Rand Nooner, the host of CNBC's Crypto Trader Show, has also tweeted his response, questioning whether the apparent breach was due to negligent storage practices and whether the exchange would be able to refund users given their small size and the protracted cryptocurrency bear market. As previously reported, Cryptopia raised concerns among users last summer after it began a planned maintenance window early, citing unexpected issues that required further investigation. The move prompted user reports of withdrawal difficulties even after the maintenance had allegedly been completed. In 2018, Cryptopia launched the NZ code NZDT, reportedly the first cryptocurrency token tethered to the New Zealand dollar. All right, so two things are for me are falling out of this news story, and this is at Cointelegraph.com. And the, obviously, the first one is what we've already talked about: don't keep your coins on an exchange because this is what happens. This is, it it always happens. And if it hasn't happened to you yet and you have your coins on an exchange, just wait. It will. It is not a question of if. It is a question of when and how bad is it going to be when it does happen because it will happen. The second thing of note here is uh, that it's not helpful that that they've run to the police and high-tech crimes unit in, in New Zealand. And I mean... Obviously, they are going to do that. It's just that with these hacks um, continuing, um, it is it's not helpful for the community at large uh, for us to get you know to try to gain traction uh, because we're you know if we're all all always talking about oh decentralize all the things so that you know. <sighs> so that nobody can tell us what to do or censor our transactions and all the great stuff that comes out of a nodal network that is decentralized. Um, when we still run back to mama 
every time somebody took our ball away from us, then how can we, how do we really expect uh, decentralization to really occur? Because when we do decentralize, one of the things that we're untethering ourselves from is the system. And if we keep running back to the system for help, then those tethers are never really going to be untethered. So that's that's all I got to say about that one. Um, right now, I think it's time to get into uh, the Bitcoin Optech. All right, Bitcoin Optech, newsletter number 29, dated January 15th, 2019. Action items. Upgrade to Sea Lightning 0.6.3. This release fixes a remote DOS vulnerability that could be used to crash Sea Lightning nodes and potentially steal money. See the notable code changes below for details. This release also includes other less critical bug fixes and new features. News. Weak signature nonces discovered. A preprint paper by researchers Joaquin Breitner and Nadia Henninger describe how they discovered hundreds of Bitcoin private keys by looking for signatures generated using nonces with less than the expected entropy of 256 bits. Independent code archaeology by Max, Gregory Maxwell indicates that the main culprit was probably the BitPay BitCore software, which introduced a bug around July 14th, I'm sorry, July 2014, and released a fix about a month later. Note, BitPay BitCore is unrelated to Bitcoin Core. From there, the bug propagated to software such as BitPay CoPay that depended upon BitCore. About 97% of the faulty signatures found in the paper are compatible with Maxwell's CoPay hypothesis and the paper provides plausible explanations for most of the remaining 3% of signatures, indicating that the users of modern wallets are probably safe, provided they do not continue to use addresses whose Bitcoin they spent using early vulnerable programs. If you ever used an effective version of Bitcore 0.1.28 to 0.1.35, Copay 0.4.1 to 0.4.3 or other vulnerable software. You should create a new wallet file, send all of your funds from your old wallet file to an address in the new wallet and discontinue use of the previous wallet file. When designing a software that signs Bitcoin transactions, you should prefer to use peer-reviewed implementation that generates signature nonces deterministically such as... <clears throat> Lipsec P two five six K one, which implements RFC sixty nine seventy nine, the fast analysis method employed by the authors of the paper took advantage of users who engaged in address reuse, but even keys for addresses that have not been reused are vulnerable to attack if the nonce generation is biased or too small. This can be either through using the same methods for keys that were used multiple times e.g. for replace by fee, or through simply brute forcing using the baby step, giant step, or Pollard's row methods. Yeah, okay, so this is me talking. Um, this isn't good. Uh, it's, it's, 
um, it's a, they've uncovered a fairly serious weakness. Being able to uncover private keys this way is, it is not cool. So when they're telling you, if you are affected by these, um, these particular versions of Bitcoin and copay, please take their advice, get to your wallet Make a new make a new wallet, you know, either with a, a new hardware, you know, new hardware wallet or something else that is not that is not. I repeat, is not vulnerable to this particular uh, type of hack, and get your coins into a new wallet address, and always, always, always use new wallet addresses when you're. Uh, if, if you're asking for funds from, from people, um, you should be using a new wallet for every or a new wallet address for every single transaction. Do not you reuse wallet addresses. All right, back back to OPSEC. Notable code changes. Bitcoin Core number 15039 disables in-lock time-based anti-fee snipping. If the most recent block seen by the node has a timestamp eight or more hours ago, anti-fee snipping attempts to equalize the advantages between honest miners who simply extend the blockchain and dishonest miners who create chain forks in an attempt to steal fees from honest miners. However, when using anti-fee snipping, nodes that have been offline for a while don't know what block is at the tip of the chain, and so they could create multiple transactions offline that would all use the, the, the same very old in-lock time value. <clears throat> Linking these transactions together in blockchain analysis. This merge fixes the problem by disabling the feature if a node is offline too long. See Lightning number 2214 fixes a remote crash bug, which could lead to the loss of funds. All users are advised to upgrade to 0.6.3 to get a fix for this issue. The vulnerability allowed a peer to crash your C Lightning node by trying to get you to accept a payment with a smaller time lock than your node allows. If a crash node remains shut down for too long, it's possible for an attacker to steal from it if they previously opened a channel with that node. Note, though, that the attacker must risk their own money to attempt the attack, and so nodes can pretend to be offline in order to take money from the attackers. <laughs> awesome. Which is hoped to be enough of a risk to discourage most attacks. Sea Lightning number 2230 updates the list peers RPC's channel output to include a private flag indicating whether the channel is being announced to peers or not. See Lightning number 2244 disables plugins by default but adds a configuration option, enable hyphen plugins to enable them at startup. Plugins may be re-enabled by default for a future release when the entire plugin API has been implemented. Eclair number 797 changes the way payment routes are calculated. Previously, routes were calculated from the spender to the receiver and now they're calculated from the receiver to the spender. This fixes a problem where the node was miscalculating fees. And that's going to do it for Bitcoin Optech. And that's going to do it for me. Uh, I will uh, see you guys later. Um, just a... a <clears throat> A few reminders about what we learned today. Don't keep your coins on exchanges. 
don't just don't i mean if you're if you're if you're trading if you're a trader i get it but keeping your coins on an exchange is begging to have your coins taken away from you and i don't know what got into cz uh from binance this morning to write what he wrote but uh, my advice is do not listen to this particular tweet from him. Assume that maybe, I don't know, he was drunk or maybe he was being held up at gunpoint. Who cares? Just because CZ said to not hold your private keys does not mean that that is good advice. It is not good advice. The best advice is hold your own private keys. And if you are going to use an exchange, Make sure that you have a plan to get the coins there safely. Execute whatever the hell it is you're going to execute and then get your shit off that exchange ASAP. Because the longer you leave it on, the more chances there are for people to take those coins away from you. And they cannot do that if you own your own private keys. So if you learn, if we learned nothing else today, we at least learned to make sure that we hold our private keys. And with that, I will see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.